0: Find a moment of calm at Classical WETA 90.9 FM. Available to stream now at ClassicalWETA.org or on the Classical WETA app. My philosophy is very simple. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, say something, do something. Get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble.
1: Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now, right from your home. The best
0: antidote to anxiety is action. There are 104 days until the most important election of our lives. And with your help, we're going to win
1: all the houses. Today, we have an impactful and timely conversation with Gina Belafonte. Gina is the executive director of Sankofa.org a social justice organization founded by her father, singer, and civil rights activist Harry Belafonte.
0: Gina talks to us about growing up in a home that played host to Dr. King, John Lewis, and so many giants of the civil rights movement, and how she continues that legacy today.
1: I'm Steve Pearson.
0: And I'm Mariah Craven. And and this this is is How We win. Win. We will march with the spirit of love and with the spirit of dignity that we have shown here today. By the forces of our demand, our determination, and our numbers, we shall splinter the segregated South into a thousand pieces and put them together in the image of God and democracy. We must say, wake up America, wake up, for we cannot stop and we will not and cannot be patient. Incredible. Can you believe that John Lewis, well, first of all, he was the youngest speaker at the March on Washington, which is extraordinary in and of itself. But the fact that he was there at all is just incredible. And, you know, overcame a stutter as a child to be able to like get up in front of so many people and so confidently and effectively call them to action
1: a huge loss we had uh this week with his passing and he's one of the architects of our civil rights movement and he led with such great compassion and patience for people that I could never have patience with he's just an incredible example and uh, we're going to be speaking with uh, Gina Belafonte in a little bit, and we did an interview with her just a couple of weeks ago. So it was before John Lewis passed. We talked a little bit with Gina about her her time as a young girl growing up in a house that played host to Dr. King and the leaders of SNCC and the birthplace, really, of the civil rights movement And uh, and her feelings about that. We didn't talk about John Lewis because he hadn't passed, but she... Posted a really beautiful tribute to him on her Facebook page with a lot of pictures of uh, John Lewis and her father together. and um it's it's a big loss for for that family too. so
0: for the whole country, really, um, these last few days have just felt just for me, at least a little bit dark. and I felt a little bit like for him to leave at a time when there's so much upheaval. I know that he was very engaged with the Black Lives Matter movement and saw the protests as a good thing. Mm-hmm. But I personally felt like, did we let him down by our our country sliding backwards? I, I, he's, I don't think he would have said that, <laughs> but I did kind of wish that he had seen things get a little bit brighter um, before he left.
1: You know, for me, uh, seeing him and Elijah Cummings before him pass and watching Donald Trump come in and stoke white nationalism in our country, um, watching their reactions to it was heartbreaking, as you said. But I'll answer that with a quote from John Lewis. Uh, This is a tweet that he put out in June 2018. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. Mm -hmm. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Mm -hmm. So his life's work continues in all of us. That is our mandate and our responsibility and such a generous, hopeful reminder that this isn't something that we do one day or one week or a month. This is, uh, this is a life's work. And the and, and struggle for civil rights was his life's work, and mm-hmm. it continues.
0: Um, yeah you know i'll I'll tell you something that is i mean and this goes along with my oh I wonder if he was disappointed in us <laughs> just completely delusional I found John Lewis very intimidating, which he he absolutely was not he was this very kind um and 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 kind of small like physically small right. and very friendly person, but Knowing all of the things that he had done and seen, whenever I had the opportunity to be around him, I was always so nervous and freaked out and couldn't, you know, say what I wanted to say or ask for a, a picture or anything like that. And then I um, ran into him at the Atlanta airport back in October, which is I'm from Atlanta and he was a Congress member who represented Atlanta for a very long time. Right. Um, so I'm very thankful that our, our paths had crossed, even though I always stood in the back of the room. But so I'm, <laughs> I'm behind him at, uh, at, at TSA pre-check, best money I've ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm like, I, I have to, I have to. So I approach him. And we chat about people that we know in common and I get to say, you know, how appreciative I am of everything he's, he's done, which is just not near like be saying that in an airports, not enough. And he was, you know, so kind and friendly and gracious and just like shook my hand and, and then went on his way off to, off to DC. And I go through the rest of the screening process with just this, big grin on my face. (laughs) And all of the TSA agents were laughing at me. And as I was like getting my stuff and going through, one of them said to me, pretty cool, huh? And I was like, it just, it, it made, it made my month. It was amazing just being around him and talking to him.
1: Yeah. That's so awesome that you got to have that experience. And, um, that interaction with him, and I don't blame you for being intimidated because anyone who uh, lives their life with that set of of values and stands by the courage of their convictions in the face of police batons and, you know, he was almost killed on, on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be admired, and it's intimidating, um, and it's something to aspire to for all of us.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that people, I mean, I'm sure people know about the books about him and his life, but it's just such great reading material. Um, His autobiography, Walking with the Wind, is just this great collection of personal anecdotes and insider stories of the civil rights movement, which I would absolutely encourage people to read. And then, of course, he um, had a graphic novel trilogy series called March, which is a great way for young people and older people to learn about his experience in the movement. And, you know, is again, just, he's so approachable, but yet in some people's heads, including mine, just such a giant that it was a little intimidating. (laughs) Um, And I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that um, John Lewis died on the same day as uh, C.T. Vivian, who was another architect of the civil rights movement. They um, worked alongside each other very early on in in the Freedom Rides and getting the lunch counter sit-ins going that led to desegregation and founding the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And, you know, I think John Lewis is perhaps better known because he went on to become a Congress member But to lose two civil rights heroes in the same day is it's 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 a it's a great loss for the country. Yeah.
1: I'm glad that you mentioned that and gave attention to C.T. Vivian and his work. We have reasons for hope and we have some work to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. So in the spirit of uh, of John Lewis and of C.T. Vivian, we're going to keep working and. My main reason for hope uh, that I want to share for this week is um, we're seeing the results of the primaries and the total primary turnout among Democratic voters has already surpassed 2016 levels. Hmm. Despite the pandemic, despite the problems that people are having voting and the long lines we've seen and the assault on vote by mail and and all of those things. Democratic voters are showing up in a big way. Also, the big difference between 2016 is we had our presumptive nominee a lot earlier in the election cycle. Um, So Biden got the nomination before a lot of the primaries had happened. And we still have had much larger than 2016 numbers in those subsequent primaries as well. So that really bodes well. Plus the fundraising numbers have been great. So democratic voter enthusiasm is very high and that's that's what we need. When democrats show up, we win.
0: I love it. It's so true. My reason for hope is simply that we we have a reminder and we have our marching orders and We have to remember to make good trouble, necessary trouble.
1: That's right. So let's make some good trouble. Uh, We've got some fun stuff coming up for people to do um, Mm -hmm. where they can make an impact. First off, we're still in July. That means we're still in our July subscriber push. So if you haven't gotten a couple of friends to subscribe to our podcast and sign up for Swing Left, please do that now. Text them the link to the podcast. Text them swingleft.org slash podcast so that they can uh, be part of this and and help build this. Build this grassroots
0: movement of positive change. Thank you. (laughs) That's what I
1: was looking for.
0: Um, Awesome. And then we have a very cool training opportunity that I'm really excited about coming up on August 1st that we are collaborating with so many different grassroots organizations and resistance organizations and people on the training to win conference and it's all going to be online a free available to whoever is ready to spend a couple of hours learning new skills and meeting very cool new people and hearing from some very cool trainers <laughs>
1: It is. I'm I'm. I'm so excited about this event. So it's, as you said, a coalition with all of these great groups, including Swing Left and Indivisible and Sister District and Women's March and Grassroots Dems and Field Team Six. And the list goes on and on and on. Sunrise Movement. Um, and there's trainers from these different groups. The There's an opening keynote with remarks from Adam Schiff, who was on our podcast last week. Uh, Representative Karen Bass, who was one of our early podcast guests and a podcast favorite of ours, and Dan Pfeiffer, who also did a podcast with us. So, you know, uh, there's synergy there. And then there's going to be a panel after all the training's over with the founders of uh, Swing Left, Sister District, Indivisible, Indivisible. Uh, Women's March, and uh, and Reggie Hubbard from Move On will be there, too, to talk about how we win. And um, that's going to be a really cool panel, too, that uh, mm-hmm. Mariah and I are moderating. So a great event. We'll have the link to it on our show, and we encourage everyone to sign up. It's going to be free and an awesome event.
0: Yep, and then...
1: But wait, uh, there's more.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's an even better segue into <laughs> um, taking action with how we went in Gaslit Nation for another letter writing party on August 5th. These are always so much fun and um, a great and proven way to persuade voters to turn
1: out. That's right. Andrea Chalupa is going to join myself, and we're going to talk about her Gaslit Nation podcast. Uh, You may recall a previous episode where Sarah and Andrea joined us. Um, They are scarily right about everything and um, have a lot of really important insights to share. So that's going to be a cool conversation. And then, as you said, we're going to do this proven tactic to persuade voters to vote. Um, I hope you join us on August 5th.
0: Let's say they're impressively right and not scary.
1: (laughs) Well, they talk about scary stuff that you don't want them to be right about, and then they are. So that's what... (laughs) They're impressive and sadly correct about a lot of the things that they talk about.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So, lots to do. And if you need a little inspiration, then you're definitely going to want to take a listen to this interview that we have coming up next with Gina Belafonte.
1: Gina Belafonte is a civil rights activist, actor, producer, and director. She produced the acclaimed documentary, Sing Your Song, about her father, Harry Belafonte, and is the director of Lyrics from Lockdown, a hip-hop musical about racial profiling. She co-organized the 2017 Women's March in Los Angeles and co-directs Sankofa.org, a social justice organization using culture and entertainment in advancing justice, peace, equity, and equality. I don't know where you have time for anything else, but Gina, thank thank you for taking the time with us.
2: Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. As a child, first of all, you literally grew up in the belly of the civil rights movement as your dad and Martin Luther King Jr. were good friends. Uh, You told me once that Martin Luther King would come over for dinner and use your home to plan events and marches. And I know you were very young then, but... What do you remember about that time?
2: Um, well, to be honest, it's the more intimate moments. I was a, a small child where I would um, sort of be invited to sit quietly at times. Other times invited to, you know, lick the stamps and stuff the envelopes of outgoing mm-hmm. uh, announcements for engagement in some ways to the community. Um, I often would paper. We would call it that in the old days. Paper, the community where we would go and stick up flyers all over on every post we could find, and buildings and windows and things um, to get to get out messages. And then, of course, there were often times when my uh, parents would hold fundraisers in our home and invite all kinds of folks to come through um, to give money to the movement to help support the efforts of Dr. King and SNCC. And you know, I just was the lucky one to be amongst those amazing organizers. And I had that rarefied air in my ear that I soaked up and uh, I guess it's translated into my work today. Mm. Um, As a young woman, later on you focused your work um, in the entertainment industry
0: as an actor and producer, but then you got involved in gang intervention and prison reform. Can you talk about the journey to that work from one to the other? (laughs)
2: Sure. As you said, I'm, I was an actor, I'm an actor by trade. Uh, and my education is around that. And, um, one night I was at an event honoring my father and there was a young man there who I struck a conversation up with, who was at our table. And he started telling me about the work that he did. And he said it was, he was a gang interventionist. I was like, well, what's that? Like, how does that work? Um, he spoke to me about it and there was something about his personality. He and I just clicked like we were instant friends. We had similar humor um, and he spoke to me much about the work he was doing in the community, uh, being a first responder to to violence um, and making sure that there was police accountability actually around reporting that violence. Um, mm-hmm. Because sometimes mm-hmm. the violence is not gang related. Sometimes it's domestic disputes or other things. And but they report it as gang activity And it's misrepresented. So he was telling me more about that work. and I thought it was so cool. He talked to me about work that he was doing inside prisons and um, with life management skills. And anyway, by the end of the night, we were um, we were fast friends. And he said, listen, I'm having this um, celebrity softball game and why don't you come and, and play in the game? Because we had spoke, I had played softball in New York when I lived there, and now we were here in California. So, so mm-hmm. softball for me was the key word, not so much celebrity. But I thought, oh, and, <laughs> and when he said celebrity, I thought in my mind, oh, it'll be interesting to see who shows up to play this softball game. So I show up with my then two-and-a-half-year-old, three-year-old daughter. We go, and he greets us, and he brings us into the dugout where the rest of the team is, and the team are all these like – Really big guys with tattoos on their necks and um just they really look like they've been working out for very long periods of time with not very much else to do mm-hmm. i'll leave it at I'll leave that at that and I That's looked fun. around and there were no there were no celebrities really to be seen, and I thought, oh, maybe I came early or maybe it's you know whatever. So it's my turn to go up to bat. I I I actually get a base hit and then I'm still Of course you do. Of course I do, right? <laughs> and and then I'm looking around and still no celebrities. And then the uh next batter comes up and actually hits a home run. So I come home and everybody's like high fiving and the guys who are holding my daughter, I like handed her off to one of the guys and everything was cool. And they're like, Look at mommy, like that's so cool. And Anyway, Bo comes over and is, like, laughing and, you know, enjoying the day. And I just look at him and I say, hey, man, I'm so sorry that, like, no celebrities showed up to your event. Like, that sucks here in L.A. You'd think that people would really, you know, come out for something like this. And he looked at me like I was from another planet. And he said, what are you talking about, Gina? Look around you. All of these guys are the celebrities. They're all people who were either formally incarcerated or... who are are doing gang related activity that have decided to leave all that behind and make a shift and a change in their community Mm. and help heal the community. And I was just blown away by that. He actually in that moment reminded me of a time when my father said, when he first met Dr. King, that after an over four hour meeting with him, he knew that he would forever be in his service and that's mm. what I and that's what I felt when when Bo Taylor sort of s- expressed that to me that way about the celebrities of their community, the people that they were um, celebrating and uplifting. And I was then forever in his service and remain so to this day, even though Bo has has crossed over and passed on. Mm. And um That work for me is very dear. I do it with an organization called Second Call, Mm -hmm. 2ND Call, Second Chance at Loving Life, that is uh, run by Skip Townsend. And, you know, they do a lot of work in the community. They do a lot of work as it relates to police brutality and also police relations with the community. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a very fulfilling work. And it's important work because I feel that what's most important is for communities to see leadership that is represented by those who live in that community and skip and second call, um, that do life management skills with folks that help folks that are returning from incarceration or folks in the community that are looking to better themselves in, in terms of being able to hold down a career, not just a job, but a career path. Mm. Um, and second call does that, and so it's the ongoing work of the legacy of Bo Taylor that I'm very happy to support. I'm
0: so glad that we are getting a chance to talk about second call, which is just an incredible organization and when you talk about you know community celebrities, I think Skip certainly um qualifies as one um as most well as definitely. A- as as an inc- just an incredible agent for change, and since you brought up police accountability, um, <laughs> you know,
2: folks, <laughs> folks like and qualified immunity, and <laughs> qualified immunity. Go ahead. Well, that's well. Well, let's talk
0: about that. So when you you're mentioning it, I think police accountability is while it's not a new concept for everyone, the real push that we're seeing right now is certainly new for some people. For others, they've been working towards it for a very long time. Are you surprised about where we are? And um, what has been your reaction to these different calls that we're hearing for everything from police accountability to qualified immunity to defunding the
2: police? Where we're at as a country is very divided, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's very clear what all those things mean and, and what, they need, what needs to happen to many people. I think where it's unclear for some is because they either do not know the true history of America or they do not know what those things actually mean. Mm. If we look at the way in which policing actually came about, it was around basically making sure that white property owners' spaces were uh, protected And that slaves, um, especially runaway slaves, but slaves in particular were, or or people of color, shall we say, were um, oppressed and controlled. Mm -hmm. And so um, policing is generated from that space. When we look at America, the American experiment in itself, and we see that a country that is created by the genocide of a people and stolen bodies for profit, then we have to come from a perspective um, quite specifically and transparently that we just haven't gotten it right yet. You know, you can put lipstick on a pig, it's still going to be a pig. And it's important for us to really call a thing a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, As it relates to defunding the police, I think that you know, language is very extremely important, and I think that just like Black Lives Matter was a phrase many years ago, where people are like, "What does that mean?" And while other other lives matter and all that kind of nonsense around it, is I feel like we're in a, a time uh, once again defund the police. Well, what, what do you mean? Like, there's going to be like no money that's going to go to the to police? Yeah. That's, uh, I think for some people, police <laughs> abolition is actually what they are. They do want. They want a, a different way to see a community safety. And I think that with, for instance, the Breathe Act that just came out from the uh, Movement for Black Lives um, and by the Electoral Justice Project of Movement for Black Lives, I mean, this is a visionary bill uh, to divest our taxpayer dollars from the, the brutal and discriminatory policing that, um, that our communities face and to invest in a new vision of public safety and and a vision that has answers that call to um, what the community really needs. And the call to defund the police is really an opportunity to allow communities to finally breathe free. And uh, and, and defunding the police for me is um, uh, using the money that we use um, to fund them currently and to redirect those funds To resources in the community that are desperately needed, whether it's health care, whether it's mental health care, whether it is that we have a new form of quote unquote policing. I wouldn't call it that, but we have a new form of first responders like a Skip Townsend, like redirect that money to second call and -hmm. let second calls all over the all over the country pop up where they're the ones who are first responding to community And and deepening a a healthier space for community violence and understanding what that really looks like. I mean, nine times out of 10, police are called after a fact anyway, number one. And number two, I think it's upwards of 90% of many police budgets are used uh, for calls that they don't need to be called for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we need to redirect 90 something percent of that money uh, to some other area that we need to create divisions of uh, community organizers and community safety groups that can help structure a a community that in a way that they'll feel safe. Um, Qualified immunity is one of the only things I see that we can really do. uh, or one of the few things, I should say, because I think this BREED Act bill is something that we can do nationally. But I also think that the qualified immunity is one of the few national laws that we can also look at to reclaim and redefine. It just basically says that police can do whatever they want uh, because they can certainly lie on a stand and say, mm-hmm. oh, well, I felt I, felt I was in, you know, in for fear of my life. It's the same thing with stand your ground laws. That we also want to, wanted to have repealed. Um, these are just laws that make the person who chooses to do something horrific um, have no liability, and that's not okay.
1: And Gina, you've been working on this for a long time. So do you have any hope that there's a new... Um... Political will, but you know, civic will seems to be there. But is there a political will to actually make these changes? Do you are you are you hopeful that we're at an inflection point now?
2: Um. Yes, absolutely. I am. I am hopeful. I think we're at the very, very beginning of the inflection point. Um. Yeah. I think that it's still a learning curve, as you can see, with many uh, of the things we see posted on social media of. White people in particular are feeling very um, defensive around having a moment in time where we actually really look at the issues yeah. of people of color. I think white people are afraid of being somehow erased, which has been the constant fear of people of color. There's constant erasure, as also um, we find in many women's movement issues. That's what Um,
1: Trump is doing, too, is trying to create more of that fear for his base to push.
2: Right. Right. Which is ridiculous. I mean, but of course I find hope. I find hope in every moment, um, regardless of how dark the moment might be. I do my best to find hope to a, a better way forward. I think that, you know, it's important for us to to find a way forward together. I think that it will take generations, but we will age out of a lot of the of the unproductive issues that we have. I think mm. that I think that there are younger generations and more of them of people who are just like, which I mean, a perfect example for me, and I'm still wrapping my head around all of it in terms of the proper thing to say and when to say it, is gender identity. If we can be non-binary. If everyone can just be non-binary, it would make things so much simpler. If everyone was a they, um, it would make things simpler because it really doesn't matter how you identify. It shouldn't matter. We're all human beings, right? So I think that this kind of collective consciousness is bringing us to tipping points on variations of themes. Mm -hmm. And I think that certain things will age out. I think we still have a tremendous amount of work to do as it relates to race. And I think the biggest deal that we need to do is... Have an accountability check um, and also look at systems where we're still having documentation of oppressive narratives. We need to reclaim our history books and we need to tell the truth. And we should stop feeling the shame about it and more about how we want to liberate uh, and, and a new way forward. If you go to Germany, and especially in Berlin, you can't go two blocks without seeing some kind of a memorial to the Holocaust. You do not see memorials around Berlin of Goebbels or Hitler
0: right you,
2: right you see you know you see monuments and demonstration and collective new visioning and art and parks dedicated to the to the liberation of people and to making sure uh, that their curriculums and that their police forces are very clear on the history and we have to begin to look at those models around the world where there has been that kind of progress and begin to, um, find ways to invent our own and to create our own. I don't know. It's like, the you know, it's just, we just have such terrible, terrible leadership right now as it relates to the highest office of what we have designed as our government. And I think there's many, many, many electeds out there that have, um, incredible ideas and their voices need to be amplified and i'm hopeful that they will have the courage to step forward and take chances as my father used to say like robert kennedy was not all about black people when he was the attorney general right mm-hmm. it wasn't until he got on the ground in the south and saw it mm-hmm. for his own eyes that he became more empathetic and in in the words of what my father would say or i believe they might have been the words of dr king Is that you must win them to your cause, and he was won to the cause because he saw for his own eyes the devastation, and related that to his own family. I think that it's important for people to have a deeper understanding of what's going on, and they can't just simply be angry because it's discomforting for them to know about the horrible things that have taken place and that continue to take horrible things that continue to take place.
0: Right.
1: So I remember seeing you on stage emceeing the first Women's March. Um, You've been involved with them since the beginning, uh, organizing that too. And um, using your work at Sankofa.org, I want to hear about that too. You've just done a lot of stuff, which makes sense because you're an artist and your father founded Sankofa.org integrating the arts and entertainment um, and influencers into these issues. Can you talk about Sankofa and how people can get involved?
2: Happy to. (laughs) Um, For those who don't already know what Sankofa.org is, um, it's an organization that is founded by my father, Harry Belafonte, and we Work with artists, thought leaders, and uh, in partnership with grassroots organizations. We um, do our best to use cultural content to educate, motivate, and activate artists and allies in service of grassroots movements and equitable change. We um, create, develop, and produce cultural content in every artistic medium. And right now we're really focusing on getting the vote out in, for November. So we've done concerts and festivals and panel discussions and art installations and, and town halls. and all kinds of really exciting things, plays, musicals, documentaries, music videos. It's like ongoing. Um, We also collaborate with a lot of arts institutions and arts um, collectives like For Freedoms. We did the largest cultural initiative in U.S., history a couple of years ago called the 50 State Initiative, where we took over billboards in all 50 states. And we reimagined the work of Norman Rockwell's Four Freedoms, Freedom from Fear, Freedom of Worship, Freedom of Speech, and Freedom from Want. And we took those paintings that he did um, and we reimagined them with the with the diversity of what the landscape of America looks like. And we got the cover of Time Magazine from that, and we put out um, oh, wow. this work across the country. So there's a lot of you know things that we do. We also do small gatherings where we'll have you know 40 or 50 people together with an artist performing and an organization to garner more support for that organization, talking about climate change or police brutality or incarceration or immigration. And are you doing
1: virtual events like that now? Now that Yes, it, we know.
2: actually are coming up in just a, a few weeks, we're doing an event to commemorate the 55th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. which and which is also the same day as the uh United States dropping the bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, so we will be acknowledging that as well. And it's also the day before the anniversary uh of Black August, which was a um, massacre between incarcerated folks and police and the Black Panther collective. And so um, we're highlighting these commemorative moments by educating folks on the vote, um, engaging folks on getting out to vote. Uh, we know that because of COVID, that door knocking right now is not possible. And so we're doing our best to find a cultural way to mobilize our base and to get folks engaged and to learn more of what is in their community that they can participate in. So it is a multi-state pre-tape and live event that will be happening, Mm -hmm. um, that will be streamed uh, on August 6th.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll share that out and have a link to it on our podcast page and everything as well. Beautiful. Definitely. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm yeah, Thank you. <laughs>
0: great. Um, hearing all the things you're doing, I have a, a new appreciation for how much time you're spending with us. <laughs> <So> <laughs> right. I, have, I know. I have one last question for you, and that is, um, you know, as we head into the big election of our lifetimes, what gives you the most hope for our future?
2: I think what's giving me the most hope for our future is the way in which young people of color are articulating that vision, a vision of equity, a vision of reconstruction, a vision of um, community-based, healthy living. And I'm really energized by young people right now. And it's so interesting because I keep thinking I'm young people because I'm the youngest in my family. (laughs) And I, and I'm thinking, all right, I'm not a young, I'm I'm one of the elders now. (laughs) Um, I'm the same. I'm the the
1: youngest child. I feel the same way.
2: Yeah. So, so, you know, when I'm thinking about the young people that get out there in the streets, it's like, well, I get out there in the streets, but I'm not the young people anymore, (laughs) but I, I, I am, I am really, really excited and hopeful. Um, Not only because I I see and understand their vision, but that they too not only include me in uplifting their vision, include my legacy in articulating their vision, but have really um, looked to history and their own history to articulate what is needed. And Sankofa is a Ghanaian word that means go back and get it. And so it is an articulation of reclaiming what we have left behind, whether it is our youth or whether it is our ancestors, and to guide us in order to move forward. So I am extremely hopeful of the leadership that has emerged, that I personally have been working with for the past seven and a half years, and I am really 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 excited that other people are also supporting their work and listening to what they have to say
1: you are truly inspirational thank you for all of your work and again thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us
2: absolutely thank you so much for having me appreciate the opportunity
1: thank you for joining us and for stepping up to take action this is how we win We win when we all get involved.
0: And we want to hear from you. Tweet to us at Steve and at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swinglap.org.
1: And if you haven't yet, remember it's our July subscriber push, so please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us on social media use the hashtag HowWeWin2020 check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast and of course come on sign up to volunteer Mm -hmm. we really
0: appreciate you being here with us and we'll be back with more next Wednesday we'll be less than a hundred days from election day we got work to do
1: inside a hundred days and (laughs) we do have another mini pod coming up uh, this Saturday so be on the lookout for that
2: alright see you then
0: if you're addicted to love, get ready to bend your heart out.
1: Stream exclusive
0: originals plus the entire 90 Day Universe for just $4.99. Discovery Plus is the streaming home of relationships, plus so much more. Start your free trial.